Chapter Sixteen of *The Tiger of Mysore* by G. A. Henty. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Harris. *The Tiger of Mysore* by G. A. Henty. Chapter Sixteen: The Journey. The Sice brought out his horse as soon as he saw Dick approaching. "'You need not wait up for us after nine o'clock,' Dick said as he mounted. "'It's possible that we may be detained and shall not return until tomorrow evening. "'If we come, we shall certainly be back by nine at the latest, "'and we shall not be back before seven, at any rate, "'so that until then you are free to do as you like.' "'He rode quietly off and did not quicken his pace until he had got beyond the fort. "'Then he touched the horse with his heel and cantered down to the ford.' Surajah was halfway across the river when he reached it. The other two figures were just ascending the road up the other bank. Surajah checked his horse when he got across and waited till Dick joined him. "'Shall we go on with them to the farmhouse?' he asked. "'We may as well do so as halt in the road. Besides, there are things Ibrahim took over yesterday to put into our saddlebags. There's another thing that I never thought of. Of course the girl has never been on a horse, and that may give us a good deal of trouble.' I wonder I did not think of it, though, if I had, I don't see that anything else could have been done. We must see how she gets on, and if she cannot manage, I must take her before me whenever we see that the road is clear for a good distance ahead. Of course it does not matter about country people, but if we see a body of troops coming in the distance, she must mount her own horse again and follow us at a walk. If we find that things don't go well, we must halt in a wood somewhere and ride only by night." They cantered on now and overtook the others just as they reached the farmhouse. The farmer was at his door and looked a little surprised at seeing two of the officers of the palace come up. He salaamed deeply. "'We have not come to requisition anything,' Dick said with a smile, as he saw that the farmer looked alarmed as well as surprised. "'We have only come for the two horses that we have bought for our servants, as we are going on a journey.' "'Can I assist you in any way, my lords?' "'No, our men will saddle the horses,' Dick said and, dismounting, went into the stable with Ibrahim and Annie. "'You are not afraid of riding, I hope, Annie,' he said. "'I am not afraid of anything, Dick, so that I can but get away.' "'We will go quietly at first, anyhow. Mind as you mount, put your left foot in the stirrup. When you are seated, carry yourself as easily as you can. The pony looks quiet enough, but if, when we get fairly off, you find that you cannot sit comfortably, you must get up before me, and Ibrahim must lead your pony.' When we are fairly on the road, I will fasten a bit of rope to your bridle to act as a leading rein, and you can ride by my side. Unless we see people coming along, then you must drop behind with Ibrahim. I won't give more trouble than I can help, she said. Ibrahim had taken some rugs over with him on the previous afternoon, which had been bought in case they should sleep out at night. When the horses were saddled, Dick rolled two of these up, strapped one on the high peak and the other on the cantle of the saddle upon which the girl was to ride. "'That will wedge you in pretty tightly,' he said. "'Now, Ibrahim, put the things into the saddle-bag, and then we shall be ready.' When this was done, the two horses were led outside. The farmer had gone back into the house, and Dick, helping the girl into her seat, arranged the stirrups the right length for her. "'Now,' he said, "'you must just keep your knees pressed against the roll of blankets in front, and hold on as well as you can with them, but the principal thing is for you to balance yourself with your body.' Don't sit up stiffly, but as if you were in a chair. Now we will start at a walk. 
Ibrahim will keep quite close to you so as to be able to catch hold of your rein, should there be any occasion for him to do so. Then, mounting, he and Surajah rode off at a walk, the others following a length or two behind. Dick looked round from time to time and saw that Annie exhibited no signs of nervousness. "'I am quite comfortable,' she said, in reply to one of his glances. When they got into the road again, Dick said, "'We will go at an easy canter now, Annie. If you feel as if you could not keep up, call out, and we'll stop directly. But first come up between Surajah and myself, and we'll take the leading reins, so that you will have nothing to attend to but holding on.' Two cords had been attached to the bridle before setting out, and Surajah and Dick each taking one, they started again, the horses instinctively breaking into a canter, which was their usual pace. Annie at first grasped the strap of the rug in front of her, but as soon as she became accustomed to the motion, she let go. A small rug had been strapped over the saddle before she mounted, and this afforded her a much better hold than she would have had of the leather, and as the pace of the horse was a gentle one, she found it much more easy to keep her seat than she had expected. Moreover, the fact that Dick and Surajah rode close by her side, and would be able to catch her at once if she swayed in the saddle, gave her confidence. "'It's much better than I thought it would be,' she said. "'It's quite a pleasant motion. I will go faster, if you like.' "'No, there's no occasion for that,' Dick replied. "'This is the pace the horses are most accustomed to, and they'll go on longer at it than at any other. There's no fear of pursuit, and we have all day before us.' After a quarter of a mile's riding, they came to a wood. "'We must turn in here,' Dick said. "'We are going treasure-hunting. We hid those caskets that were given us by the ladies directly after we got them, and we are going to dig them up now and take them with us.' They rode at a walk now till they came to a very large baobab tree, growing by the path they were following. "'Here we turn off.' "'There is a man there,' Surajah exclaimed when they had ridden a few yards further. Dick checked his horse. "'It's Pertob,' he said in a moment, and in a minute they were beside the Hindu. "'I could not sleep thinking of you, Sahib,' the latter said as they came up. "'So I came across here partly to help you dig up the caskets, and partly that I might see you and assure myself that so far all has gone well.' "'Thank you, Pertob. You have, I see, brought a pickaxe. It will save us half an hour's work, and besides, I am glad to say good-bye again. "'All has gone well. This is the young lady.' "'She is well disguised,' Pertob said, bowing his head to Annie. She looks so like a boy that, even now you tell me, I can scarce believe she is a white girl. Truly, you can go on without fear that anyone will suspect you. Leading the way to the spot where the caskets had been buried, Dick looked on while Surajah and Ibrahim dug them up. They were then wrapped up in rugs and strapped securely behind their owner's saddles. Then, after a warm adieu to the kind old man, they turned their horses' heads and rode back out of the woods. After riding for three hours at a canter, Dick saw that although Annie still spoke cheerfully, her strength was failing her, and arriving at a wood, he said, "'We'll wait here till the heat of the sun has abated. You've done very well, and the horses, as well as ourselves, will be glad for a few hours' rest.' He alighted from the saddle, gave his horse to Ibrahim, and then lifted Annie from her seat. As he set her down on her feet and loosed his hold of her, she slipped down onto the ground. Dick and Surajah at once raised her and placed her so that as she sat she could lean against a tree. Here Dick supported her while Surajah ran and fetched his water-bottle. Annie drank a little and then said with a nervous laugh, oh, "'It's very silly of me, but I feel better now. My legs seem to just give way altogether.' "'It was not silly at all,' Dick said. "'You have held on most bravely. 
I can tell you there are not many girls who would have ridden four or five and twenty miles the first time they'd sat on a horse. Why, I can tell you the first time I mounted I did not do a quarter as much, and I was so stiff I could hardly walk when I got down. I should have stopped before, but you kept talking so cheerfully that it seemed to me you could not be anything like as tired as I was then. I was a brute not to have known that you must be thoroughly done up, although you did not say so. We've got some food with us. Do you think you could eat just a little? She shook her head. Not just yet. All right. I brought a couple of bottles of wine I got at one of the trader's stores yesterday. You must take a sip of that, and then we'll leave you for yourself a bit, and you must lie down and have a good nap. Dick took a bottle from his holster, opened it, and gave her some in a tin cup. Then one of the rugs was spread on the ground, with another rolled up as a pillow, and then they led the horses further into the wood, leaving Annie to herself. "'She won't be able to ride again to-night,' Surajah said, as they sat down, while Ibrahim took out the provisions that he had on the previous day carried across to the farm. "'No, I must carry her before me. We'll shift my saddle a little further back, and strap a couple of rugs in front of it so as to make a comfortable seat for her. There is no doubt she'll not be able to ride again by herself.' I am sure that after my first day's riding I could not have gone on again for anything. We won't start until it begins to get dusk. Of course, she ought to have a good twenty-four hours' rest before she goes on, but we dare not risk that. I don't think there is any chance of pursuit for days, or, indeed, of any pursuit at all, for by the time they begin to suspect that we have really deserted, they will know that we have had time to get to the frontier. Still, I don't want to run the slightest risk, and at any rate, if we have to halt, it would be better to do so fifty miles farther on than here. When we mount again, we'll put the saddle-bags from my horse onto hers, and Ibrahim must lead it. Her weight won't make much difference to my horse, and if I find it tiring, I'll change with you. You may as well put your saddle-bags onto her horse as well. It would be better, would it not, Surajah said, if you change to her horse, which will have carried nothing? Yes, yes, of course, that would be best, so you had better not shift your saddle-bags. After they had had their meal they stretched themselves out for a sleep, and when they woke it was already becoming dusk. The horses had had a good feed, and were now given a drink of water from the skin. They were then saddled again, the blankets carefully arranged for Annie's use, and then they went back to the place where she was lying, still asleep. "'Put the provisions into the wallet again, Ibrahim. We'll see if we can get her up without waking her. She's so dead beat that perhaps we may do so. I don't suppose she'd be able to eat anything if we woke her.' I had better mount first, then you, Surajah, can lift her up to me. I can stoop down and take her from your arms and put her in front of me. She's no weight to speak of. Very, very gently Surajah put his arms under the sleeping girl and lifted her. That's right, Dick said, as he placed her on the blankets before him, and held her with his right arm with her head against his shoulder. She is dead asleep. The blankets were strapped onto the horses again, the others mounted, and they started at a walk out of the wood. As soon as they were on the road the horses broke into a canter again. Annie moaned uneasily, but did not open her eyes. Dick drew her still more closely to him. "'She will do now, Surajah,' he said in a low voice. "'I hope that she will sleep till morning.' Half an hour later they rode through Sultan Petta. It was quite dark now, and although there were people in the streets, Dick knew that at any rate they were riding. In the darkness, the fact that he was carrying a lad in front of him would scarce be noticed, nor would it be of any consequence if it were, as, even if they met any officer who should stop and question them, 
it would suffice to say that the lad had been taken ill, and that, their business being urgent, they were taking him on with them. Four hours later they passed through Concanelli, and crossed the bridge over a branch of the Calvary. Here Dick felt that his horse was flagging. Halting, he dismounted and lifted Annie down. This time the movement woke her. She gave a little cry. "'Where am I?' she asked. "'You are quite safe, child,' Dick said cheerfully. "'Just lie quiet in my arms. We've come five hours' journey, and as my horse is getting tired, I'm changing to yours. Ibrahim is shifting the rugs that you've been sitting on.' I, I can go on by myself, she said, making a little struggle to get down. You must be good and do what you're told, he said with a laugh. Remember that you are a slave, and I am your master at present. She said nothing more until they were seated afresh and had gotten into motion. Oh, you are good, Dick, she sighed softly, only to think of your carrying me like this for five hours without waking me. Well, it was much better for us both that you should sleep, he said, and it's the horse that's carrying you, not I. I've been very comfortable, I can assure you. We shall go on for another four hours. After that we shall hide up in a wood and sleep till the afternoon. Then it will depend upon you. If you can sit your horse, we shall ride on through Anacol. If not, we must wait till it gets dark again, and then go on as we are now. Are you comfortable, child? Oh, very comfortable, Dick. They were talking in English now for the first time since they started. I have almost forgotten how to talk English, she said. We white girls always used to talk it when we were together, so as not to forget it, and since the last one went three years ago I have always talked it to myself for a bit before going to sleep, so as to keep it up, but it does not come anything like so easy as the other. Still, I like talking it to you. It almost seems as if I were at home again. You see, I have never heard a man talk English since I was carried away. Even now I can hardly believe this is not a happy dream and that I shall not wake up presently and find myself a slave-girl in the harem. "'It's pleasant for me to talk English, too,' Dick said, "'though it's only a few months since I last spoke it. Now the best thing you can do is to try and get off to sleep again. When we stop, you'll have some breakfast, and I'm sure you must want something. You've had nothing since you ate a mouthful or two in my room before starting.' "'Oh, I have slept hours and hours,' she said. "'I shall not want to sleep any more.' However, before long the easy motion lulled her off again, and she did not wake until, at about four o'clock in the morning, they entered a wood that was, as Dick supposed, some three or four miles from Anacol. "'Well, how do you feel now?' Dick asked, as he set her on her feet. "'I feel stiff,' she said, "'but that will soon wear off when I have run about a little. Oh, how tired you must be after carrying me all these hours!' "'There has not been much to hold,' Dick said with a laugh, "'especially since we started the last time.' Before that you were so dead asleep that I did have to hold you, but you see you nestled up more comfortably when we changed horses, and needed very little support since then. Now, what can I do? she asked with a little laugh. Please order me to do something. I am your slave, you know, and I want to be helping you. Well, then I command you to aid me to gather some sticks for a fire. We have nothing to cook, but it will be cheerful, and the air is cool. They picked up sticks, and while Surajah and Ibrahim loosened the girths of the horses, took off their bridles, and poured out another feed from the bag of grain they had brought with them. In a few minutes a fire was blazing, and the wallet of provisions brought out. "'I wish I had a cup of coffee to offer you, Annie,' Dick said, as he poured her out some wine and water. "'But we must wait for that until we get down to Tripatli.' "'I have forgotten all about coffee, Dick, and what it tastes like. The white girls used to talk about it and say how they longed for a cup, 
It seems to me funny to drink anything hot. I have never tasted anything but water that I can remember, until you gave me that wine yesterday. It was very nice and very refreshing. Uh, there's another drink that's coming into fashion. It's called tea. I've tasted it a few times, but I don't like it as well as coffee, and it's much more expensive. The Sultan says that all the English get drunk, and there used to be pictures of them on the walls. They used to make me so angry. I don't say that no English get drunk, Annie, because there is no doubt that some do. But it's very far from being true of the great proportion of them. Tippoo only says it to excite the people against us, because now that he has made them all Mohammedans they cannot drink wine, or at any rate openly. When I bought these two bottles the trader made a great mystery over it and if I had not given him a sign he understood, and which made him believe that I was a Hindu and not a Mussulman, he would not have admitted that he kept it at all. He did say so at first, for I have no doubt he thought that as I was an officer of the palace it was a snare, and that if he had admitted he had wine I should have reported him, and it would have served as an excuse for his being fined and perhaps having all his goods confiscated. When I made the sign that an old Hindu had taught me, his manner changed directly and he took me to the back of his little shop and produced the wine. I told him I wanted it for medicine, and that was quite true, for I thought it was a drug you were very likely to need on your journey. "'How much farther have we to ride?' she asked, after a pause. "'Only about thirty-five miles, that is to say. It's only that distance to the frontier. There is a road that is rather more direct, but it passes through Usur, a large town, which we had better avoid.' It's not more than fifty miles from the frontier to Tripatli, but since across the line we can take matters easily and stop whenever you get tired. It will be all very strange to me, Dick. I shan't mind it as long as you are with me, but it will be dreadful when you go. I'm afraid your mother won't like me. You see, I know nothing of English ways, and I am, oh, so ignorant, I cannot even read, at least very little. One of the girls used to teach me from a book she had when she was carried off, it was a Bible. She used to tell me stories out of it. But one day they found it, and she was beaten very much for venturing to have it. I am afraid I have quite forgotten even my letters. But she and the other girls used to teach me about religion, and told me I must never forget that I was a Christian, whatever they might do to me, and I was to say my prayers every night after I lay down, and every morning before I got up. Of course, I have always done it. You need not be afraid of my mother, Annie. She is very kind and I am sure she will take to you very much, and will be very glad that I have brought you to Tripatli. For, you see, she has no girls of her own. She will teach you to read and write, and if we go back to England, I dare say you will go to school for a time, so as to learn things like other girls. Oh, I can work very nicely, she said. The ladies of the harem all used to say that. Well, you will find that very useful, no doubt. And what else is there to learn? she asked. Oh, no end of things, Annie. At least there are no end of things for boys to learn. I do not know anything about girls, but, of course, you will have to get to know something of history and geography. What is geography, Dick? Well, geography is where countries and places are. For instance, you know something of the geography of India without ever having learnt it. You know that Madras and the Carnatic lie to the east, and Travancore to the southwest, and Malabar to the west, and the Maratha country and the Nizam's dominions to the north. Well, that is the geography of this part of the country, that and the names of the towns and the rivers. In the same way there are a lot of nations in Europe, and you want to know all about them, 
and where they lie with respect to each other, and the names of their principal towns. Then there are America, and Africa, and Asia, and all the countries in them. If you don't know about these things, you can't follow what people are talking about. And did you like learning geography, Dick? she asked, a little anxiously. Well, no, I can't say that I did, Annie. I think I used to hate geography. It was very hard to remember where all the places were and what rivers they stood on. I know very little about it now, except the principal towns and places, but then I never was very fond of learning anything. I was a very stupid boy at school. Oh, I'm sure you could not have been that, Dick, she said confidently. I was indeed, Annie. I think the only thing I could do well was fighting. I was a beggar to fight, not because I used to quarrel with fellows, but because it made me hard and tough, and my mother thought that it would make me more fit to carry out this search for my father. "'What did you fight with, swords?' Annie asked. Dick laughed. "'No, no, Annie, when we quarrel in England we fight with our fists.' "'What is a fist? I never heard of that weapon.' "'That is a fist, Annie. You see, it's hard enough to knock a fellow down, though it does not very often do that. But it hurts him a bit without doing him any harm, except that it may black his eyes or puff up his face for a day or two. And no boy minds that. It accustoms one to bear pain, and is a splendid thing for teaching a boy to keep his temper. And I believe it's one reason why the English make such good soldiers. It's a sort of science, you see, and one learns it just as people here learn to be good swordsmen. I had lessons when I was twelve years old from a little man who used to be a champion lightweight, that is, a man of not more than a certain weight. Annie looked doubtful for a minute, and then exclaimed, "'Ah, oh, yes, I understand now. That is how it is you came to our help so quickly and bravely when the tiger burst in.' "'Yes, I dare say it had something to do with it,' Dick said with a smile. "'There is no doubt that boxing, as we call it, does make you quick. There is not so much time to waste in thinking how you are to stop a blow and to return it at the same moment.' One gets into the habit of deciding at once what is the best thing to be done, and I have no doubt I should not have seen at once that one must cut through the netting, run to the window, jump onto Surajah's shoulders, and fire at the tiger, unless I had been sharpened up by boxing. I only say I suppose that, because there were more, no doubt hundreds of men looking on, who had pluck enough to face the tiger, and who would have gladly done the thing that we did, if the idea had occurred to them. Well, the idea did not occur to them, you see and I have no doubt that it was just owing to that boxing that I thought of it. So you see, Annie, it was, in a way, the fights I had with boys at Shadwell, which is the part of London where I lived, that saved you, and perhaps half a dozen ladies of the Sultan's harem, from being killed by that tiger. Now I should advise you to walk about the wood for at least an hour, to get rid of your stiffness. The longer you walk, the better. When you've tired yourself, come back here. By that time, I dare say, you'll be ready for another sleep. We'll start about three o'clock, and shall cross the frontier before it gets quite dark. Once across we can camp comfortably where we like, or put up at a village if we should light upon one. I should not go very far from here, he went on, as the girl at once rose and prepared to start. Very likely the wood may get thicker farther in, and you might lose your way or come across a snake, so I should not go far out of sight. The great thing is to keep moving. It's getting broad daylight now. As soon as Annie had started, Dick lay down. I feel dog-tired, Surajah. This right arm of mine is so stiff I can hardly lift it. I did not feel it at the time, and her weight was nothing, but I certainly feel it now. You have a good sleep, Dick. Ibrahim and I will keep watch by turns. Oh, I don't think there's any occasion for that, Dick said. 
No one is likely to come into the wood. Not very likely, Surajah agreed, but a body of travellers might turn in here for a halt in the middle of the day, and it would look strange were they to find two of the palace officers and their attendants all fast asleep. They would only think that we came in for a rest a short time before they did, Dick said drowsily. Still, if you don't mind, perhaps it would be best. In two minutes Dick was sound asleep. Now, Ibrahim, you lie down, Surajah said. I will call you in three hours. In half an hour Annie returned. She looked pitifully at Dick and then seated herself by Surajah. He must be tired, she said. It was too bad of me letting him carry me all that night. I thought so over and over again when he believed I was fast asleep, but I knew that it was of no use asking him to let me ride for a bit. You don't mind my sitting here for a little, do you? I am going away again presently. I only came back so soon because I thought he might wonder what had become of me if I did not. I could have gone on walking for a long time. It was very hard work at first, for my back ached dreadfully and every step hurt me so. It was as much as I could do to keep on walking, but gradually it got better, and at last I had a long run, and after that I scarcely felt it. How long have you known him, Surajah? And she nodded toward Dick. Oh, it is about two years and a half since he came to Tripatli, and I have seen a great deal of him ever since. I love him very much. He is always the same. He never seems to get angry, and is kind to everyone. Did he fight when he was with the army? Oh, not much. He was one of the general's own officers, and used to ride with the others behind him. He fought in the battle before Seringapatam, for the general and everyone else had to fight then. How is it you came to be always with him? she asked. Oh, it first began when we went out on a scouting expedition together, before the English army went up the ghats. We volunteered to find out, if we could, which way the Sultan's army was going. We went through a good deal of danger together, and some hard fighting, and the Sahib was pleased with me, and since then we have always been together. Tell me about that, Surajah. Surajah related the story of their capture and escape, of their making their way through the fort, and the subsequent pursuit, and their defense of the ruined hut. Annie listened almost breathlessly. "'How I should like to have been with you,' she said when he finished. "'At least I think I should have liked it. I should have been dreadfully in the way, but I could have sat down in the hut and loaded the guns while you were both fighting. You could have shown me how to do it. How brave of you both to have fought fifty or sixty men!' "'It was not so very brave,' Surajah said. "'We knew we should be killed if they took us. There is nothing brave in doing your best when you know that.' But it was not so much the fighting as arranging things, and he did all that, and I only carried out his orders. He always seemed to know exactly what was best to be done, and it was entirely his doing, our getting through the fort and taking to the hut, and making the loopholes and blocking up the windows, just as it was his doing entirely that we killed the tiger. Whatever he says is sure to be right, and when he tells me to do a thing I do it directly, for I trust him entirely, and there is no need for me to think at all. If he had told me to go up to the Sultan and shoot him in the middle of his officers, I should have done it, though they would have cut me in pieces a minute afterward. "'I will go away again now,' Annie said, getting up. He told me to keep on walking about, and he would not like it if he were to wake up and find me sitting here. And she got up and strolled away again. By the time she returned, Surajah had laid down to sleep, and Ibrahim was on watch. Annie was by this time tired enough to be ready for sleep again and wrapping herself in a rug she lay down a short distance from the others. It was two o'clock when she awoke, and she sprang to her feet as she saw Dick and Surajah standing by the fire, talking. 
I was going to wake you soon, Dick said as she joined them, for we must have another meal before we start. I hope you feel all the better after your walk and sleep. Oh, ever so much better. I scarcely feel stiff at all, and shall be ready to ride as soon as you like. How do you feel, Dick? Oh, I'm all right, Annie. I was all right before, though I did feel I wanted to sleep badly. And you see, I've been having a long one, for I only woke up ten minutes ago. I own, though, that I should like a good wash. I don't suppose I can look dirty through this stain, but I certainly feel so. There is a pool, she said, a few hundred yards away there on the right. I found it the second time I went away, and I did enjoy a wash. I thought you were looking wonderfully tidy, Dick said, smiling. Well, I will go there at once. I shall feel a new man after a bath. I will come with you, Surajah said, for he had learned to speak a good deal of English during his companionship with Dick. They returned in half an hour. Ibrahim had warmed up some of the chapatis over the ashes, and they had all thoroughly enjoyed their meal. The horses were saddled and were taken to the pool for a good drink. Then Annie was helped into her saddle, and they started again. They rode at a canter to Anakul, their badges of office securing them from any questioning from the soldiers at the guardhouses, when they entered and left the town. "'I don't know whether there is any post established at the frontier,' Dick said, as Annie, who had ridden behind with Ibrahim as they passed through the town, took her place again between him and Surijah. "'I have no fear that they will be erecting a fort, for after our capturing Bangalore and the hill fortresses, they will know very well that nothing they could build on the flat would be of the slightest use in stopping an army advancing by this line. Still, there may be a guard placed there. How do you think we had better get past, Surajah? We have still got the order to the governors of forts, and it's likely enough that the officer in charge may not be able to read. Very few of those we met before we were able to do so. The sight of the Sultan's seal at the bottom was quite enough for them, and I should think it would be sufficient to pass us here. Still, it would look suspicious our leaving the country altogether, and we must give some explanation if they ask us. Oh, I might say that we are charged with a mission to the English commander at Kisnagari. Well, that might do, Surajah. The fort is only eight or ten miles on the other side of the frontier, and we might very well be sent on some message. A complaint of some of the villagers that their rights have not been respected as agreed by the treaty, or that they have been robbed by men from this side of the frontier. There are plenty of things about which Tipu might be sending a message to Kishnagari. The worst of it is that Tipu has not given us a mission, and I do hate your having to say what is not true. Surajah was not so particular, and he replied, Well, he has given us a mission to visit the hill forts, and as Kisnagari is a hill fort, it's not a very great stretch to include it. Dick laughed. That is ingenious, Surajah. Anyway, I don't see any better excuse for crossing the frontier, and so we must make the best of it but I hope we shan't be asked at all. I think if I say we are going to Kisnagari and then show Tipu's order and seal, that will be sufficient, and the story will be quite true, for we shall go by Kisnagari as the road passes close to the fortress. Yes, that will be quite true, Surajah, and the officers are not likely to ask any further questions. How are you getting on, Annie? Oh, much better than I did yesterday, she said. I would much rather not halt until we are across the frontier. I'm getting accustomed to the motion now, and am not at all afraid of falling off. I dare say I shall be rather stiff when we halt, but that will not matter then. The sun was just setting when they arrived at a newly erected house, around which ten or twelve tents were arranged. An officer came out of the house as they approached. 
He salaamed on seeing two officials of the palace wearing the emblems of the rank of colonels. Surajah returned the usual Moslem salute. "'We are going to Kisnagari,' he said. "'Here is the Sultan's order.' The officer glanced at the seal, placed it to his forehead, and then stood aside. "'Will you return to-night, my lord? I ask that I may give orders to the sentries.' "'No, there is no chance of our being able to be back before morning.' He touched his horse, and they trotted on again. Not a word was spoken until they had gone a few hundred yards, and then Dick checked his horse, and, as Annie came alongside, held out his hand and said, "'Thank God, Annie, that we have got you safe back into English territory.'" End of chapter 16 The Journey Recording by Mike Harris